You're listening to episode 108 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest ATP Pro Tret Huey. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey everyone, my name is Mirban Iranshad, and on the Tennis Files Podcast, I interview the top pros, coaches, and experts to help you improve your tennis game. And today, we have a fantastic interview with one of my favorite tennis players, Tret Huey. And I say this because I know Tret from the junior days when we played a bunch of the same tournaments together in the Mid-Atlantic section, and he is as nice and professional as they come. And he's also one of the most talented doubles players in particular that I've ever come across. He has unbelievable hands and a rocket for a serve, a lefty serve actually, uh, super potent when it comes off the racket. And it really was a pleasure to catch up with Tret at the City Open this past year and watch him play with Dennis Kudla, who I've also had on the podcast. And I really appreciate that he came on the show once again. And as I'll mention during the episode, you can check out his first interview with me on way back on episode seven of the podcast. But it was great to hear about Tret coming back from a tough time on the tour with uh, some injuries and he's come back stronger than ever and he's looking great and I had a really fun chat with Tret to kind of really pick up where we left off as far as um, after his interview with me way back on his progress and his ups and downs on the tour, what he's learned and uh, some great doubles tips as well for your game, which I always try to bring out the best information that I can from all these experts to help you level up your game. And Tret certainly provided a lot of that great information for us. And without further ado, here is my interview with Tret Huey. Hey everybody, welcome to the Tennis Files podcast. Uh, it's really an honor to be on the show again with Tret Huey, who is one of the best doubles players in the world and also a friend of mine since the junior tennis circuit days. I actually interviewed Tret on the podcast over two years ago and about a hundred episodes ago, which is pretty crazy to think about. And uh, it's really great to have you on again, Tret. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Oh, thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. I've listened to a couple of your podcasts over the last year or two now. So yeah, thanks a lot for having me. It's great to be back. Thanks, Tret. Appreciate that. And uh, yeah, it's always nice to hear when the <laughs> actual tennis pros listen to the podcast. It's pretty cool. But uh, to give you all a bit of a background on Tret, uh, especially if you didn't listen to uh, to episode seven. Uh, Tret has been ranked as high as 18 in the world in doubles. Uh, he's actually partnered with a lot of great players, including Jack Sock, Max Murney, Dominic Inglot, uh, Scott Lipsky, and Jersey Janowitz, uh, among many others. Tret also reached the semifinals of men's doubles at Wimbledon in 2016, which is just an incredible accomplishment. And I think even that match was really close. And uh, it was really incredible for me to to watch a player that I had, you know, played against in, in juniors to, to just really make the uh, semis of Wimbledon. Uh, and Tret has also reached the Australian Open quarterfinals for men's doubles uh, twice and the semifinals of the Aussie Open mixed doubles uh, as well. Tret has eight career titles. He is a former University of Virginia standout. Uh, he was ranked, uh, I believe, in the top five in the nation in college tennis. And he was, of course, a top junior player in the Mid-Atlantic, uh, as well as the country. And he's from Alexandria, Virginia. He is a half Filipino like me, and he is the first Filipino player to reach the semifinals of Wimbledon. So, uh, Tret, uh, it was great seeing you at the City Open as well. Uh, can you kind of talk a little bit about uh, how it felt to play uh, at your home tournament, which you had actually won in 2012? Yeah, it was great to be back uh, playing the City Open. I've had some great memories uh, playing there, obviously winning the title in 2012. That was my first ATP title and obviously something I'll remember the rest of my life being the hometown event. I, I think I've gone as a fan since I was uh, five or six years old and I think I went every year and I've played it almost every year the last 10, 12 years or so since I've been playing. So uh, yeah, it was great to be back and uh, I can't thank uh, Mark Ein and the tournament as well for giving me the wild card. Dennis Kula and I got a wild card 
card in the main draw. And uh, we were real thankful for that to have the opportunity. And uh, we played a good match. We lost to the Bryan brothers uh, first round in the third set tie break. But uh, yeah, it was a high level match and uh, we played pretty well. So it was good, good for me to get out there and uh, play one of the bigger events of the summer. So that was, that was great for me on my comeback. Yeah, for sure, Trad. I mean, I, I was actually there watching you and Dennis uh, go toe to toe with the Bryan brothers. And as you said, you went to three sets, played a match tiebreaker for it. I mean, against the Bryan brothers, that's it's really incredible, especially considering that you're still, you know, making a comeback as we'll, we'll talk about uh, soon. Uh, but I mean, I think you're already <laughs> back because I mean, like playing at that level is just incredible with against the Bryan brothers. Um, and uh, as I mentioned, if you all would like, and I think you really should, you should check out uh, episode seven of the Tennis Falls podcast, where I go more in depth with Tread about the evolution of his tennis career from the junior days uh, up to the pros. And then that's a really interesting uh, listen for sure. So just go to tennisfalls.com slash seven to check that out or, or go Episode to your podcast seven. app. Congrats. You've come a long way. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's really incredible, uh, you know, how long it's been and that I actually survived, <laughs> you know, <laughs> up to over 100. But it's, you know, it's just fun for me, of course. You know, both of us love tennis, so we're still in it um, in different paths, of course. But um, yeah, and I actually re-listened to the episode earlier today too to kind of prep but Tret, you had really a fantastic 2016 uh just going so deep in the, in the majors and you had a solid 2017 and so i want to kind of start really with with that and with 2018 which was quite tough for you so can you kind of talk about like what happened in that kind of uh i guess valley i'd say of your of your career for sure uh, i think 2016 was uh the best year of my career for sure uh made the quarterfinals of australian open to start the year won uh, an ATP 500 in Acapulco in February mm-hmm. and then we made Max Mirny and I made the semifinals of Wimbledon losing a close match uh, four in the fifth set to Mahout and Herbert who went on to win the tournament and uh, yeah we were having a great great year and City Open that summer actually I just phoned in from Davis Cup I played I think singles doubles and singles in the weekend of Davis Cup and flown in two days before uh, the first round match with City Open and I guess my body was pretty tired and I uh, kind of went full stretch for a in our first round match in City Open and felt something in my back and I, I felt horrible. I mean, I could barely stand up straight and uh, had went to the, had an MRI that week or so. We pulled out of the match. I could barely walk around for a couple of days, but uh, had MRI and had uh, a couple bulging discs in my lower back. They were really bothering me for a couple of weeks there and uh, it was tough. I We were top five or six or so in the race to make the year-end Masters in London and that was uh, always been one of my big goals and dreams to uh, do as a professional tennis player and uh, maybe I came back too soon and toughed it out too much but it was something where Max and I played again in Cincinnati and did well and uh, made the round of I think we made the quarters there and uh, picked up some good points throughout the fall kept playing and I uh, felt like I was mentally okay I'd recovered from the injury but I think it just took a toll on me later in the season uh, and the start of 2017 I think is really when it really hit me because I started to get injured more and more and uh, the main cause was obviously my lower back and uh, I was something looking back on now I, I don't know if I would have done it any differently because we we achieved the goal of making London that year and mm-hmm. it's something I'll always look uh, back on fondly but uh, it was definitely uh, something that I, I wish could have gone differently but at the same time it was uh, the best part of my career so I can't I can't complain at all yeah no I mean it's uh, you know sacrifices were made of course to to really make that one of those goals that you always were aiming for um, but I, I, I'm just wondering like what what could have been I, I mean do you think like like looking back, there could have been some sort of different routine or like, I don't know, recovery routines or something like that. Or was it just purely the the number of hours on court, regardless of what you did after? Yeah, something. Um, maybe I could have taken care of my body a little better that year, I guess. I was uh, a little younger and always thought, oh, I, I can do uh, what I can in the gym here and there. But I've become obviously way more professional the last couple of years and taking care of my body, as, I don't know, to warm up and cool down after practice in the match where... Uh, maybe that hurt me the years before that but uh, that's something you learn as a, a younger player and uh, I was always on the school of thought if my body felt pretty good I was fine where I, why do I need to keep getting physical therapy or treatment and stuff like that where now that I'm older I feel a lot more pains and nicks here and there so it's, it's a little easier to, to do that and smarter to do that but uh, when I was younger I didn't have, never felt like anything really bothered me and I was like yeah I can play through it it's fine don't worry about it <laughs> and, and so Trent you mentioned that you got if I heard correctly um um, injured a, like a few times so, I mean what like can you kind of describe those like w- was it would it just be like you're you're playing a match 
and then you feel a tweak and then you recover, you think you recovered and then you feel it again and again? Yeah, it was something where I, uh, the doctors I seen, that was the first real big episode I had in City Open 2016, I guess. And uh, I was completely kind of stuck with my pelvis to the left with my lower back kind of just given out a little. And throughout 2017, uh, it happened two or three more times where I would, I don't know, full lunge for a ball or slide for a ball and the stability of my lower back and pelvis would kind of go out and I'd be stuck, I don't know, with a back spasm and kind of in a different, not completely standing straight where I wasn't able to obviously athletically do anything. So it was something where after that happened, I think two or three times in 2017, I really thought I needed to do something more than just a couple of weeks of physical therapy and uh, really get down to the I don't know, bottom of the problem and see where how can how I can get this really taken care of so I can I don't know, raise my ranking and not just kind of half practice and uh, maintain where I was physically. Mm-hmm. And and then uh, you know I was looking at your your uh, ITF uh, at least on the website like kind of showing all your tournaments and I mean it looks like in in uh, 2018 around like April it, that was pretty much like the last match you played for like a whole nother year um, at least on the tour so like what how did you come to that decision finally um, to just stop playing uh, for an extended amount of time yeah right that's where it was tough I was still having a few good results here and there when uh, my body was feeling good but it was something I obviously wasn't at the peak of my powers where I felt like I could go in day in day out uh, all out in practice all out in the matches but uh, I won the the title in college Cabo, San Luke, uh, Los Cabos, August of 2017, and then a week or two later before U.S. Open, kind of had some back spasms before the U.S. Open and had to pull out uh, before the U.S. Open, and then that kind of uh, just prolonged it, and I tried to rehab, and I felt like I was doing well going into January of 2018, and playing Australian Open, everything was going well, felt strong, felt the body was good, and, and then a month or two later, just felt like it was deteriorating and slowing me down physically, where I couldn't I couldn't go all out day in day out in terms of the work I needed to put into to feel like I had a chance to win tournaments and play well so that's where it was tough and I kind of stopped is that right end of March or start of April I guess in 2018 and I've seen some new doctors where I uh, didn't get I opted not to get back surgery so it was more just six seven months of physical therapy and kind of uh, I had PRP injections I had I've tried a bunch of different things to promote the healing and everything in the lower back but it's it seems like a lot of the doctors I talked to. It's just uh, overuse and the torque and everything from my serve has kind of degenerated a lot of my lower back and right hip. But at the same time, that's made me made me a really good player over the last couple of years. So can't really complain about that, I guess. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and, and so, Trent, the two follow-up questions. I mean, first off, like a more technical one, uh, what is PRP? And then after that, um, how did you determine to go for full rehab and rather than surgery and like maybe the pros and cons? of each yeah i had a uh, platelet rich plasma where they they took uh my blood out and spun it and uh for a couple hours and injected it into i think there's 36 different locations in kind of my lower back to promote the healing and get those areas with my enriched blood would promote that area of healing and regeneration uh in those spots and it's shown a lot of good research in the knee and other places where the doctor i went to was the research and everything's pretty new for the back but uh, it was something I was willing to give a try so if it's placebo that it's helped maybe it is but I, I feel like it's helped the healing process and I've gotten uh, a lot more stable and stronger there and I've uh, been seeing a chiropractor neurologist in Atlanta uh, a few times and uh, I see uh, this guy Jacob Meyer who I, I see a lot for my back and he's done some great stuff for my body where I feel like I've gotten stronger and uh, become a lot better in terms of I don't know how I take care of my body and also what I do day in, day out to make sure I'm uh, in the right spot physically to, to go out and uh, practice hard and play play hard. Awesome, man. And and so I also just wanted to kind of get a sense of like uh, regarding like full rehab versus surgery, like would surgery have like given you possibly a, a shorter turnaround time or like were there any pros to that that you were kind of considering or was it clear cut that you would, uh, that full rehab was the way to go? It seemed pretty clear cut that full rehab was the way to go where there could have been a few, a few complications with uh, myocardiostectomy or any kind of surgery. Mm. But uh, the technology's obviously gotten better, but there's always a risk of 
that little bit of you know athletic, uh, but not coming back athletically as well as mm. it was before. So mm. that's where I didn't want to take that risk, obviously. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And so you mentioned uh, Jacob Meyer and and how he helped you. Uh, to get stronger and 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 whatnot physically, so I was wondering maybe if you could describe like what kind of stuff were you doing with him? Like were there like strengthening and uh, flexibility exercises, or like what types of things were you doing with him? He does a lot of uh, hands-on kind of uh, work, like body work, and he mm-hmm. travels with a few other players, JP Smith, mm-hmm. uh, primarily the last couple of years, and he's been great for me. He's uh, helped me a lot, and he's uh, been with me working kind of strengthening uh, my low back. And and doing a lot of the strength conditioning that we've I've done kind of progressing the last couple months when I was before I came back I guess and uh, I still work with him every now and then so he, he's been great and he's become one of my good friends so it's good that uh, a good relationship when you can get along pretty well with the people you work with so it's uh, been exciting for me to try to make a comeback and get back to playing some big tournaments so I'm excited about that for sure yeah it's it's funny I was looking on your Twitter today and kind of just scanning it I guess creeping on your Twitter but I saw um, <clears throat> there was one screenshot Chat where somebody said I fixed your profile and it's and it previously said injured pro tennis player and he crossed it out so I thought that was that was pretty funny um and and your Twitter uh now uh, very succinctly says uh, comeback time so it's uh I don't know I just enjoyed seeing that uh, those posts on there but um as far as like mentally because we talked a lot about the f- physicality of uh, of this such an injury but how tough was it mentally I mean especially being a player who has done so well on the tour and now you're you're off to tour for a year and like probably watching tennis might have been tough just thinking about man I wish I could be playing these events so how tough was it mentally to be off of the court during this time yeah definitely it's tough mentally to uh, be away from the tournaments and playing the tournaments but uh, I'm a big fan of tennis I still watched uh, some of the big matches here and there obviously and uh, it's always great to uh, see Roger and Novak and Rafa play some of the big matches I've been a big fan of the game since I was a little kid and I don't think that'll ever stop till uh i don't know never if i grow old i'll still be watching tennis i love it but uh watching doubles which i've obviously been playing primarily it was tougher for me to see uh some guys doing well here and there i feel like i was just at their level a year or two ago and they've kept progressing where i've been kind of on the sideline not able to play so yeah that's obviously tough mentally and uh so much of it's tough mentally coming back too where i in my mind i think i'm really good whereas my game is still kind of catching up to that where i need to keep progressing on the practice courts and get a little sharper here and there and uh, that's something the last couple of months that's been tough to tough to deal with mentally but it's obviously a learning experience and uh, for me it's fun to actually be on the court I enjoy it every day even more now because I realize that it's not something that I can take for granted which is uh, maybe I did before but at the same time I always felt like uh, this is the best job in the world but now that I was away from the game I miss it more which is, which is great so it's good to be back and playing some of the best tournaments and going to some great cities the last couple week so yeah yeah for sure and it's definitely great seeing you back and doing doing really well um just uh one or two more questions about the the, the comeback and, and the tough period i mean did you ever at any point and i'm curious too like uh because i'm sure other players might have felt something like this but did you ever f- feel like you may not be able to play again that had ever come into your mind yeah for sure i definitely thought that that was a possibility i was uh, i've always been pretty uh positive and thought oh well, mm-hmm. it's gonna happen i can do well tomorrow I'm going to be fine but after a few days of realizing that that's not going to happen it's uh it's hard to deal with and uh that thought I mean came into my mind the last year or so what if I don't physically uh, what if I'm not able to physically come back and play at a high level would I be okay with that how am I going to deal with that mentally so yeah it's something I never really thought about till the last year and uh, I think that's made me enjoy it and really not take it for granted when I'm on the court the last month or two I, I'm, I'm loving being out there being back and giving myself out of the best shot to really make a good comeback yeah for sure yeah, for sure man and and so like during that time uh when you were <clears throat> off the tour which like i mentioned was a, about a year i mean what types of things were you, you mentioned you're watching tennis and of course uh rehabbing but like what what types of things were you doing while you're away from the tour yeah i was joking with uh some of my friends it was great to actually live i don't know what i call a normal life i guess i've never been in the same city for more than more than three or four weeks at a time and that's probably the most and maybe in December in the off season, if I was at home for three or four weeks, that was the longest I've ever been in one one place. So it was good to be home, be with my family, be with my friends. I got married end of last year, and okay. which was during my year off. So yeah, the 
the time that I spent with my friends and family was was really great and I, I enjoyed that part which I feel like tennis players really miss out on when they're playing and traveling all over the world for 10 months of the year you miss so many big family events or things you can't do so yeah I definitely took advantage of that and uh, had some time with family and friends went to the beach here and there enjoyed my time when I could and uh, so that was because was great awesome man and and so at what point uh, you know between April 18 April 19 uh, approximately uh, did you start playing uh, like uh, did you start uh, playing on the court again and then when, when did you actually feel like you were you were really getting uh, back to speed right, I was playing and I was thinking about coming back in January of this year and I was training hard playing in November, December and uh, playing with some of the pros down in Florida. In December, I realized, yeah, I feel good physically, but my game is just not there yet. And I need to maybe take another month or two to keep practicing and get my level up a few more notches. So that was something I decided not to go to Australian Open and then uh, push my comeback till March or so so I could practice and keep getting stronger where I can do it day in and day out. If I'm going to win a tournament, I need to win four or five matches that week. And at that time I was I don't know mentally I thought I was ready to do that but it seemed like after a day or two I was pretty dead tired and the body was needed some time off so I needed to kind of increase my I don't know strength and ability to I don't know, absorb long practices long matches and be okay to do it again the next day so that was something I think was smart for me to wait until I started April the first week of April in uh where did I play in Monterey, Monterey. Mexico yep. yeah so it was good for me to kind of wait till that time to play where I felt like I I could physically give it everything I have and uh, play some good matches four or five times a week to win the tournament. So I didn't want to come back and just uh, play one good match and feel like, oh man, my body feels terrible the next day. I don't know how I'm going to get through a practice or a match the next day. So that was uh, something I thought was smart to do and it worked out pretty well. So uh, happy to be back playing kind of day in, day out and not really worrying about getting hurt and my body giving out basically. For sure, Tred. And yeah, I appreciate you kind of discussing this. I know it's not always easy to talk about something that was that was really tough to go through but I mean it's pretty amazing looking at your record I mean you know within two months you had nearly won a challenger title uh, in Little Rock but um can you kind of talk just about like how it felt to be back uh, yeah how it felt to be back on the court after a year yeah it was uh it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun playing uh, on the court I you can always simulate some things in practice but to get actually on the match court and play uh in my mind there's nothing better there's the adrenaline rush of kind of right before the match, during the match, and uh, playing those points. And after the match, looking back at what you could have done here, what you, what you did there to, to win the match or lose the match, it's, uh, it's something that I'll never I'll never forget and I'll never get any other way. I feel like that's just that rush of adrenaline and the competition. I, I love being out there and uh, doing that. So uh, hopefully I can keep uh, rising the rankings and give myself shots at bigger and bigger tournaments the next couple months. For sure. And uh, also... Also, I mean, you've played with so many different partners uh, throughout the years. Like, I'm, you know, I'm sure all the doubles players do. What are some of the big differences between some of the partners you've had in terms of their their games or their personalities or other things? Yeah, it's it's a team game, so you have to adjust and uh, do what you think would help the team in the best way possible. Where I've played with uh, some of the best players, where I, I've played with Fabio Fognini uh, once in uh, Madrid, and I feel like, how can I keep him mentally engaged and <laughs> into the match but he was great he's uh such a nice guy and ability wise he's he's unbelievable so we played a good match and won our first round but uh lost a tough one the next day but um some of the some of the players you play with it's just a matter of uh, what can i do to help them both on the court and just mentally during the match and you know, ease them make them feel more relaxed and uh things like that to make the team uh have a better chance of winning uh, that's how i always look at it yeah and uh just looking at that particular match or, or you know that tournament it looks like you you beat a uh, team in Cole Schreiber which is pretty pretty awesome I mean team you know got to the finals of the French recently but um that that's really cool Tret and so um as far as when you're looking for doubles partners I mean are there certain traits that you always tend to look for in a partner like do you always like have some sort of filter where maybe you see available lists and right away you're like oh I don't think I you know this guy would work for me but then others you're like oh they 
they have this particular trait where we'd be a good team? Yeah, not necessarily. I've always thought uh, one of my, I guess, former coaches when I was first on Louis Caillé, coaches Jamie mm-hmm. Murray. I mean, one of the best doubles coaches, if not the best doubles coach there is. He always said the r- rule number one in doubles is pick a good partner. So I always look at it. If their style is uh, kind of a big server, really good at the net, I can adapt my style to that and play a complimentary piece to that. Whereas if I play with a smaller player who's a great returner and doesn't like being at the net or is, doesn't volley as well as some of the other players, how can I uh, help him and uh, adapt my game to suit him and use our strengths against our opponents where you can, I feel like I'm not too set on how I play or uh, this is the only way I play. I can adapt my game style. So I think that's helped me over the years play with different uh, players stylistically uh, in terms of who to play with. And if anybody's good, I, I'd definitely play with them. <laughs> that's that's awesome. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's just a real compliment to the variety in your game and being able to adapt and having, you know, all the tools needed to complement different types of players. So that's, that's really amazing. And, um, you know, one thing that I've always noticed with you, even with talking with you, watching you on the court, especially, I mean, you're very calm and very professional, very even keel. Have you always been like this or maybe like Federer? Did you ever have to kind of develop it? And did you ever have a temper or anything? Or have you always been like this? No, I think that's um, playing college tennis. I think I was a lot more fiery and loud on the court. But mm-hmm. when I kind of made the transition to uh, playing professionally, I think there was, I don't know, it was one of the unwritten rules. I think it was frowned upon to be really loud and yelling, come on here and there. I didn't want to be looked at as that young college guy. That, <laughs> I don't know. That was just yelling and screaming the whole time. So I think that that changed my first year or two or three out of college. But uh, I feel like I've always been pretty mentally tough and strong and had a will to win and compete. So that, that's obviously helped me over the years. And it uh, doesn't matter what it is, really. I mean, I can uh, feel like I sit down and uh, I want to beat somebody at a crossword puzzle just as much as I want to <laughs> win my match that the next day. So it's it's tough. Yeah, for sure. For sure, Tread. And, um, you know, when we, we talk about your college uh, career, you can't help but think about uh, Coach Brian Boland, who was actually on episode 34 of the, the podcast. And uh, I believe he's now with Baylor, which is definitely uh, still strange to see given how long he was at uh, coaching at uh, Virginia. But is there any thing that you I'm sure you remember but any any particular words of wisdom or or something that he kind of th- taught you that that you carry to this day which you think uh, could could help the listeners yeah uh, I had two great coaches in college obviously Brian Bowen is my head coach and Tony Bresky was our assistant coach and he's the head coach of Wake Forest now but uh, they were they helped me a ton uh, where I went into college thinking I had kind of done my job of getting a college scholarship and I was going to get a good education and get a job whereas they put it in my mind that I had the ability to, uh, if I kept getting better and working at it, I could be a professional tennis player. And I never really thought I was good enough or really had heard that before. And uh, it really pushed me. And I, I loved that idea where I, I thought, no, I'd love to do that instead of get what I think of as a desk job or a real job. And I thought if I could get good at this, I would love to travel the world and play some of the biggest tournaments. So uh, Brian was always about uh, controlling the things you can control. So if you were going to sleep 10 hours how are you going to use the rest of your time you got to plan it out control what you can control and let the rest take care of itself so he was a big component in taking care of everything you could do to make sure you were ready and also do what you could on the court to to give yourself the best shot to win yeah great stuff from uh from brian and also tony Uh, i'm curious you know sometimes when when somebody tells you something like oh i think you can be a great musician great tennis player you know you you might think oh you know, they're, they're just being nice, but you don't like truly believe it to some extent sometimes. But like, how was, how did Brian and, and Tony instill that in you, that, that belief? Like how, how did it really, um, how was it able to impact you and, and get through to you that you really could be on the pro tour? Like what was special about um, their particular words to you? Yeah, it was something that I think going in as a freshman, they always would joke with me that I was, uh, I had a great amount of ability. And if I just put it together and learned how to 
play the game, learned how to uh, use some patterns here and there and learn to actually play tennis that I would be a pretty good player. I had athletic ability and had a lot of shots. I just didn't know what I was doing out there. They always joked. So it was something that, uh, I don't know, studying tape and going over what I can do and creating patterns in my game to really, I don't know, set me apart from, I don't know, not just doing what I felt like with the ball. Oh, I should go here. I should go there. I had a set plan. This is what I'm going to do. This is my game plan. How can I use that to my best ability? And it was great. I think both of them obviously instilled uh, a competitiveness in me and having Somna Devarman, who I played uh, doubles with in college, who was at the time the best college player maybe ever. And he, he helped me out a lot. He was such a good player and really practicing with him obviously raised my level a ton. So it was great to play with him. And we went on to play on the tour together and uh, played a lot of challengers, uh, made an ATP final in Los Angeles in doubles. And then we got to the round of 16 the US Open uh, just a few years after college. So something that really I don't know, skyrocketed my ranking and my belief in that I could make it uh, not just to, I don't know, 100 in doubles, but why couldn't I make it to top 10, top five in the world in doubles? So that was uh, great for me having somebody like that who was such a good player and I don't know, saw that I could be a good player and really told me that. And I, I don't know, maybe I just didn't believe it at the time. So it's great for them to uh, give me that belief. Yeah, awesome stuff, Trent. And so you mentioned a couple things. Uh, you mentioned patterns and you also mentioned, excuse me, mentioned that uh, that you know you you planned out your points more and whatnot. So can you kind of talk about maybe specifically like one or two patterns that that you think would be helpful um, that you kind of put together uh, on the doubles court uh, or maybe singles that uh, that really helped you? Yeah, for sure. And uh, doubles, especially the last I don't know, ten years or so, I feel like I've had one of the better lefty kick serves, and uh, I've used that extremely well. And uh, on the deuce side, I would uh, hit a kick wide and maybe go eye formation and where or have the guy poach and I would kind of move over to the left side and get a forehand or a forehand first volley where use what I'm good at my the best serve I have basically into kind of a forehand volley with uh, the court spread with the returner kind of wide or staying back and hitting a forehand which is one of my better shots so uh, using that as much as I can or mixing that up and, and I'll first serve too to keep the guy guessing and not just, I don't know, looking for my sliced tea serving the deuce. Mm-hmm. And uh, same thing that, basically. I So many people expect the lefty to just hit a lefty slider out wide in the ad court, mm-hmm. whereas I would use my kick tee a lot or flat tee a lot to kind of open that wide serve where if I only go wide, they're inching that way, moving that way, and they're a lot more ready for it, especially on bigger points. Whereas if I do go tee and kick tee in the ad court, it opens that up a little and keeps them on their toes of where I'm going to go bigger points instead of, I don't know, primarily going wide with that lefty slice serve and them being on it more and more as the match progresses. Thanks for that that's actually very interesting uh, insight into into patterns of doubles there appreciate it introducing coco golf's signature shoe more than just a tennis shoe it's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette it's designed to enhance speed and power on the court the multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out the coco cg1 empowers you to dominate the game learn more and purchase the coco cg1 at newbalance.com and um as far as like planning i mean how how in-depth do you go into planning how to play a match are you like basically you basically have a plan for like i mean every single game or every single point or like can you go go a a bit into into the planning uh portion uh or aspect of uh, tennis matches yeah the last uh i guess five six seven eight years or so uh there have been more it's more readily available to get the video of matches so mm-hmm. the my partner and i would go over video of the team we play and i don't know talk about their strengths and weaknesses mm-hmm. and also talk about what we think we can do uh to i don't know give us give ourselves the best shot of winning a lot of the points what we can do on our serve where we should serve primarily uh what we can do return games or i don't know if you see something oh their backhand volley is a little weaker maybe the chances we have a shot to go after a base line uh, forehand or backhand maybe pick that uh, side of the court uh, that person's backhand volley to give ourselves as many points we can uh, that we think we'd be favored so that's where we always try to look at as a team and then go over the video of our previous matches too how we can play better how we can do better positioning wise on the court and yeah just get better in general as a team together awesome great stuff Trett Uh, also kind of going back to like the physical side I mean after 
um, that, you know, that, that what happened as far as your back injury. Is there anything in particular that you changed, like, in your routines or, or anything like that, like, uh, as a result of either the injury or just, like, kind of over the years? Yeah, over the years. I've, I'd say the last three or four years now, I'm not lifting weights near as much where I'm doing a mm-hmm. lot of kind of band work. It's heavy band work, so it's, I mean, not that I'm not lifting any weights, but I'm doing a lot more of stability and kind of holding in positions with heavier bands to uh, get my body more accustomed to dealing with that uh, tension and everything to strengthen my core and everything in my mid-body so I can deal with the pressures of landing on my serve and kind of running and sliding all over the court. So that's something I've done more and more the last couple of years. But uh, it's tough where in tennis, if you can uh, get a good lift in here and there, it's hard to do and think, oh, I'm playing in a day or two and you're tennis players are playing every week basically for 10 months so it's hard to hard to consider yourself oh how can i lift to get stronger now in terms of oh should i wait to do that only in november december or can i really do that to maintain my body during the season during the tournaments and that's something that i've kind of tried to find a fine line with the last year or two got it that's very cool and so you mentioned bands and you said you do do like fairly heavy band work i'm curious uh kind of a you know specific question but like what um how many pounds are are like is the heaviest you go on the bands? Either that or like the color, or I don't even know if like the colors differ by brands. But like what what's what's kind of like the resistance level or poundage that you use for that? Yeah, some of the bands are 100, 150 pound uh, resistance bands where wow. if you use it kind of with the bar, uh, it's like uh, so much. Actually, I've read and talked with some doctors about uh, Tom Brady and how he only works with bands to work his quickness and uh, stuff like. Like that where it's not at first i guess when i was reading that i was like oh yeah i do band work to rehab my shoulder and mm-hmm. i don't know to warm up but uh a lot of the things now are more it's seen it feels just like you're lifting kind of heavier weight but it's more the holding of it with the heavier bands is just more st- stability wise and uh, i feel like it's done a lot for me last year or two to increase my I don't know, core strength and uh, get me ready to play day in and day out that is very cool and so just uh, I, I know you, you you mentioned about um, putting like bands with the bar, but so do you, so you basically kind of like attach the, the bands to like uh, one of the bars that maybe you you use for like bench pressing or do you also like uh, use bands like uh, where you wrap it around your legs and things like that as well? Yeah, both. Okay. But uh, yeah, similar for warming up and stuff. I have a lot of the bands I wrap on my legs or use around a pole for my arms and shoulders to warm up, but so much of the work in the gym if- I kind of do like around, yeah, similar to like a bench press bar and uh, use that for kind of squats, Mm. um, things like that, where to use instead of weight on the side, kind of having two bands on the side to Mm -hmm. hold those when you do some of the work. Uh, That's that's really cool, actually. Um, As far as um, who is on your team, I know you mentioned... Uh, a couple people but like do you do you have are you working with like a, a coach and a, a physio and a trainer or who's on your team currently now it, i've just uh, i guess my team would be just jacob uh, meyer i see him uh, every every now and then because he lives <coughs> sorry, sorry he lives in new jersey so when i'm back home in, in new york i go see him a lot but i also see him on the tour a lot because he's with jp smith and uh some other players so uh but when i travel to tournaments most of the time now it's just been on my own so hopefully i can keep progressing the rankings and and obviously make a little more money where I feel comfortable traveling kind of with a coach and a team again. So that's something where I got I to gotta build up to that, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good stuff, Trent. Yeah. Out of all the legends that you've played against, I mean, I remember actually on, on uh, episode seven, we were talking about how, um, you know, when you had to volley against Nadal before, that was like, uh, it was pretty crazy as far as like the RPMs he gets on his ball. But I mean, is there is there a particular player who when you stepped out on the court against, you were you were particularly nervous because of how uh, well known they are, or anything like that. Um, I don't think I was too nervous about how well known they are, but I was I was more nervous. I think uh, I don't know, not embarrassing myself. They always <laughs> play in front of pretty big crowds and have a lot of fans, so I didn't want to go out there and have them make me look like uh, I wasn't a very good player. <laughs> so I wanted to obviously put on a good show and play well. And uh, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say I want to go out there and beat them, so I could say, oh yeah, I beat some of these guys. 
guys. And sure. I don't know when you're older, like, Oh, do you play anybody good? And be like, Oh yeah, I, I've beaten some good players. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that makes sense. Um, but yeah. so you, so when you, um, wh- like who have you played against? So I know I've, I've been looking at your record, but just to make sure, like, I, I know you played against Nadal before and you also played, I think with Serena before, have you played against, uh, fed or Djokovic in doubles? And where I, the same, the Asian league I played IPTL, I played against Roger uh-huh. in doubles. I played against Nadal in doubles. And that's where I played with Serena in mixed doubles as well. Wow. So yeah, it's some pretty, pretty big names there. It was a lot of, a lot of fun playing those matches. And I actually got a win over uh, Federer there when we played in Dubai. So it was something that it wasn't an official ATP match, but I consider it. I, we've only played once and both of us wanted to win and I won. So yeah, it, it was, it's a great, yeah, great one to have. And yeah. I played, I played a really good match when I played Jersey Janowitz mm-hmm. in Indian Wells. We beat Andy and Jamie Murray in the quarterfinals of Indian Wells. And so that was a, that was a great win. And like you said, that was, uh, one of those nights, uh, it was a packed crowd on, I think we played on the second biggest court and it was completely packed obviously because of Andy and uh, we played a great match and, and won it was something where I, I don't know if I was too nervous about playing against him but I was more nervous about yeah there's a lot of people watching this match I want to play well and not look like an idiot <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, dude. I, I hear you. Yeah, I, that, I remember being there, and that was just so incredible that you know you you guys made the Indian Wells final. Uh, very kind of strange, almost side note. But have you seen the, the video with Jersey where he's like, how many times before? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. I need, think I need to uh, link up to that on the show notes. But, um, anyways, as as far as um being on the tour, I mean, how hard is it financially? Because I mean, I, I saw some sort of uh study i think that mentioned that like the top 150 at least for singles uh you have to be like top 150 to be um you know actually surviving financially um so i mean how how tough is that and like have you seen a lot of other players kind of struggle with this and eventually like have to stop playing because of uh how tough it is to uh to get prize money on the tour definitely definitely that's something i uh going in playing when i was playing futures and challengers my first year or two out of college i saw a lot of guys that I was uh, maybe not as good as or about the same level and you come to a point where you think am I really doing this where I'm barely breaking even or losing money like why am I doing this and you have to have that belief of it's yeah I'm really I'm on the right path I'm getting better and better I'm gonna get to the bigger tournaments where the prize money is bigger and keep progressing kind of to to make a living and uh some of the people maybe quit before they've reached there that I thought had the ability to do it and that's what's tough in tennis. You, we have kind of a structure where maybe 150 or so singles players are making a living and in doubles, maybe 50, 60, 70 are. Mm. And then if you take into account, if they pay for their coach and then if they have a physio as well for their all three of their travel and stuff like that, it's, it's a, there's a lot of expenses for tennis players. So it's, it's a hard, hard sell to really to make it if you're, uh, I don't know, just on the border, say you're 200, 300 in singles or you're 100 in doubles where how do you move up to really make a living and make a decent living after that, where if you keep progressing in the rankings. So I was fortunate for uh, four or five or six years, I was kind of towards the top of the rankings and making a good living. And I had a team of two guys traveling with me, a coach and physio. So that had helped me a lot uh, those years. But at the same time, it's, it's hard if you're, I don't know, just on the borderline of uh, what you can make and investing in yourself. Uh, how can, if I invest more money in myself and pay for a coach and make, I don't know, half of what I would make this year because I'm paying for a coach, is that going to get me to a higher ranking next year? Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the battle in tennis where n- none of the money is guaranteed. It all depends on how you do in the tournaments to make more money. So it's hard to uh, get people to really uh, invest in themselves and give themselves shots at moving up the rankings. That's where I, I look at it. For sure, Trent. And I, I get asked this a lot by um, by by fans, is is it usually that the coaches and trainers um, arrange to get like a percentage of the prize money during the year, or do they just do it like on some sort of hourly or salary basis, or does it vary? I think it varies, but I, primarily I think it's salary and then a percentage depending hmm. on what percentage that is. Or uh, some coaches here and there, I feel like I've heard or go on just a larger percentage and no salary, and hmm. uh, just show that the player, yeah, I really believe in you. We're gonna move 
move up and have if they have a higher percentage of their earnings they are way more invested in that player obviously doing well the next i don't know few months or year when they're with them but that's where it's hard in tennis the, the player is the boss and who knows a couple months from that time if they're not doing so well they can fire the coach and uh, the coach is out of a job so that's where it, it's hard yeah wow i mean this coach is really uh taking a, a gamble for sure i mean uh, in some cases like if they go like all percentage um yeah. but uh it's interesting probably good good gamblers as well in the casino but um yeah. as far as uh as far as you mentioned like how tough it is uh, you know to uh to survive on the tour financially uh, do you think it's possible for uh atp and wta tours to increase it the prize money so that more uh more players can can make it uh like do you think that's possible because i i, I don't know i i was talking to somebody and they mentioned that only a relatively small percentage of the uh of the money generated by a tournament is actually given to the players i haven't verified this but i mean do you think it's possible for for changes to be made to help more players survive uh on tour? yeah i think so for sure mm-hmm. uh if you look at the tennis politics and mm-hmm. a lot of the uh stuff in the news this year uh, mm-hmm. so much of the player council uh it's tough to look at tournaments and see other uh major sports getting close to 50 percent of the revenue share whereas mm-hmm. in tennis the grand slams that are making uh lots of money uh the players are only getting 14 percent where mm-hmm. the men are getting seven percent and the women are getting seven percent and that's an estimate or so but that's far below what other major sports are getting when they're getting 45 to 50 percent of uh, the revenue but uh that's something the players have been working uh with the tournaments and the council have been working to increase and it's gotten a lot lot better in the last 10 years and prize money has gone gone up and uh the players have never been doing better than they are right now but at the same time it's something to get more people making a living say 100 to 300 uh mm-hmm. that's where it needs to keep increasing uh for those people to be making a living and give more people a chance at making a living in tennis instead of just say 200 people it should definitely be more and uh hopefully in the next couple of years would be 300 500 and more and more as the prize money increases kind of the next five ten years yeah no i'm totally on board with that um appreciate that uh, uh insight there and thoughts on that as far as the davis cup so i'm like asking you kind of semi well kind of controversial questions here but i was wondering um do you well do you plan to play davis cup soon for the philippines uh which you know i'm really proud of and also like more relatedly to the previous question um do you like the new format of davis cup yeah, actually, I missed it this year. The first hour uh, Davis Cup tie for the Philippines was the first week of April when I uh, had not come back yet. I played tournament right after that, I guess. But mm-hmm. I've played Davis Cup the last 11 years or so since I finished college, and mm-hmm. it's been a real honor. I've, I've loved representing the Philippines and Davis Cup and all the tournaments I've played uh, throughout the last 10, 12 years. But uh, I'm getting ready, actually, for a Southeast Asian game that at the end of this year will be in Manila, so that'll be big, and the tennis event will be be at uh, Rizal Memorial. So that's something where I've played some Davis Cup matches there and to have the Southeast Asian Games at home will be uh, a lot of fun. It would be uh, I don't know, a great honor for me to kind of play in front of the home fans and kind of get everybody to see tennis as I don't know the bigger sport that it is because we've had a lot of great Davis Cup matches the last uh, seven, eight years and had some great turnouts for tennis there. And uh, there's some uh, great tennis fans. So it's it's, it's great to uh, have so many people be supporting uh, the game. For sure, Trent. Um, uh, for sure. And then, I mean, as far as like the new format, is it something where you're just kind of thinking like, well, I guess let, let's see how it goes or like, do you think it's actually beneficial? Because I guess it's supposed to try to get more players who, you know, I guess because it's like a shorter format, like during the year. Is that right? Right. Yeah. I think that our idea is they can get more of the top players if uh, they change the format and they've, they've done that. So I guess we'll see at the end of the year if that if that works out. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I was a big fan of the old format home and away matches yeah uh, against certain countries but yeah i'll definitely give it a chance i want to see how how it goes and uh like anything over time it needs things need to change to update it and get more fans involved and sure. interested in it so hopefully this does that I'm, I'm not sure it will but uh i can always be hopeful and yeah. hope that 
for the betterment of tennis that it works out. So yeah, yeah, no, it's a great attitude about it. Um, and the Southeast Asian Games, uh, just looking here, I, I see you racked up a lot of a lot of medals. Actually, uh, three golds, four silvers, three bronzes. Uh, as far can you go a little bit into like um, the structure of the Southeast Asian Games and also like uh, um, frequency? Like, is it yearly and stuff like that? Uh, Southeast Asian Games is every two years. Okay, but there's a there's a team event with a, a singles, two singles matches and a doubles match, and then there's singles, doubles, and mixed doubles. So yeah, I've I've done pretty well the last couple of years, and that was my first uh, competition I played out of college. I guess uh, Cecil Mamet uh, got me on the Southeast Asian Games team and uh, was able to get me to play Davis Cup that year after I graduated from college. So it's been something that's uh, been so beneficial for me. I, I, it's been great for me to travel and play so many matches all over Asia and play uh, and represent the Philippines in, in so many ways. It's been a true honor for me, and I, I can't thank uh, them enough for kind of reaching out and getting me to be a part of the team and represent the Philippines in uh, so many competitions the last uh, 10, 12 years. For sure, Trett. And um, speaking of, uh, of of other players on tour, uh, like Cecil, like who are your um, kind of best friends on the tour where like, you know, at a stop, you'll actually spend a somewhat significant time like hanging out or talking with them? Yeah, I feel like I'm pretty friendly with uh, a lot of the players, but some of the American players, I guess I played in college, like uh, John Isner, or hmm. I've played doubles with uh, Steve Johnson a bunch. And Dennis Kudla, who I played with last week and at the City Open, he was a little kid at uh, <laughs> College Park, Maryland, where I trained when I was 15, 16, 17 years old. So it's been good to see him more. And he's done pretty well the last couple of years. And uh, we used to practice, I guess, when I was 17, 18. He was 12, 13. And uh, Francis Tiafo was there just running around with his twin brother, <laughs> watching everybody play tennis. So there have been some good players that came out of College Park and uh, JTCC. So it's uh, great to see both them doing well. And yeah, we're, we always joke around when we see each other. We've played world team tennis together, Francis, Dennis, and I. So it's uh, good to see all those guys. Yeah, for sure. I really like uh, all the players you mentioned a lot. Uh, Dennis is really cool too. It was fun to kind of talk to you both a bit at the uh, City Taste of Tennis. Uh, um, I think last Monday, and actually had Dennis on the podcast as well at uh, on episode sixty five. So definitely check that out, everyone, if you'd like. And um, yeah, as far as uh, doubles advice too, um, I, I was wondering um, how you kind of determine what formation to use on the serve. Because I mean, it really does help. I mean, I've had quite a few matches where, you know, in the regular formation, we've been, we, we had trouble holding and then we would switch it up to like the I formation and Aussie and all of a sudden the returners would, would really be kind of flustered and whatnot. So, I mean, how do you kind of determine what uh, formation to use? Uh, I think some of the time we judge it on, oh, I feel like the returner is better when he has a target and mm. uh, trying to mix it up, give him different looks mm -hmm. and yeah, give yourself different angles too. If you serve from kind of more towards the center of the court when you go I formation, gives you, you know, different angles to where you want to serve to in terms of their forehand, backhand. And if you go regular kind of out wide doubles formation, I don't know, people are more ready for that and kind of see that more and more where it's good to change it up, give them different looks to kind of keep them guessing. That's what I always look at it. Awesome. And I, I, I'm trying to recall like the doubles matches I've seen, and maybe this is like wrong, but I haven't been seeing too much of the Australian format. Do you use that that much? No, I feel like everybody has been going either regular kind of doubles formation or eye formation. That's about it, I feel like. Okay. I, I guess yeah. I guess maybe because like they, like you don't know where the player, like if they're going to be moving or, or not, but with the Australian, I guess you're like, it's kind of, you know where they're going to be for the most yeah. part. So sure. uh, yeah, that makes sense. And uh, as far as your, your um, return side, uh, do you, have you, um, have you ever switched up like throughout your career where you returned or have you always stuck on one side? I switched up actually. I was, you, when I was in college and played with Somdev Dvarman, I only played the deuce side. Mm. And I did that for my first couple of years uh, playing professionally. And then uh, a couple of my partners uh, were better returners, had uh, so many right-handers, I feel like have a great backing return. And I don't want to limit them in the deuce side where I feel like, all right, I'll play the deuce side, you be an ad side. And I'll, uh, no, sorry, I just mixed that up. But <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> you, can edit, you can edit that. Yeah, yeah, sure, uh, sure. But yeah, so many guys uh, I played with were righties who 
with good backing returns. So they would play the bad side and I would play the deuce. But uh, uh, when I first started playing with Max Mirner, he'd played the deuce almost all uh, his life. And uh, I moved to the ad side and we had uh, some, some great years playing together. We played two or three years almost and had my best year ever when I was playing the ad side. And I was returning pretty well from that side. So since then, I've played uh, kind of half-half where depending on my partner, I can play a little bit of both sides and just kind of change up how I return. Where in the deuce side, uh, maybe I'll lob return a little bit more. Whereas in the ad side, I'll go for uh, bigger returns and take bigger cuts on the return when I get the chance. Awesome. Great insight there, Trent. Appreciate that. And just a couple more questions. I know we've been talking for a while and I really appreciate your time. Um, as far as volleys, I mean, you you have, you know, I think some of the best hands in the, in the world. Uh, I was wondering if maybe you could give us like a, a one technical piece of advice or really any piece of advice you can't, uh, you'd like in terms of how, what you think might help us develop better volleys. Yeah, for me uh, personally, I, I feel like when I'm not volleying well, I try to always remind myself to watch, to watch mm-hmm. the ball all the way to the to the strings where mm-hmm. so many times uh, if, the peop- if the people you're playing against are hitting it bigger, hitting with a lot of spin, try to really follow the ball all the way to the strings and get good contact on the ball helps me a ton where so much of the time I'm focused on where I want to hit the volley, how I want to hit it and not focused on kind of just the basics of getting good contact, hitting the ball pretty clean. When I go back to that, I feel like it resets me mentally and I kind of get a better uh, stick on the ball because I know I'm hitting it clean and where I want to hit it on the racket. Yeah, I really love that uh, piece of advice actually because I think a lot of more, more more players are now kind of thinking that, oh, I need to watch the ball really well up to contact on ground strokes, but I don't think as many people are thinking about that same concept on volley so that's that's fantastic um the, the men's doubles game i mean it really does seem like it goes to super tie breaks so often uh it's 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 really tough i think and uh always getting the crunch time uh in the third set so uh, i was wondering if you could maybe like give us like a tip or kind of like your mindset like going into these super tie breakers uh to, to that will help you be successful yeah the margins are so small in doubles where a point here or two can change it but uh, in a 10-point tiebreaker, I try not to think of it as uh, the tiebreaker is over when you're down 4-1 or 5-2. And so many times you mentally think that because in a regular tiebreaker, it seems like it's, uh, you can't really come back. 4-1, 5-2, you're going to lose a tiebreaker, I don't know, 7-3 or 7-4 usually. But yeah. in a 10-point tiebreaker, there's still a lot of points to be played. A lot can happen in the next five, six, seven points, and there'll be turns of momentum and uh, changes uh, once obviously you flip sides because of the wind or the sun so in the 10 point tiebreaker I don't know playing every point and not feeling like you're too far behind because I mean so many times you can come back from a mini breaker a full a two breaks down in the tie in the 10 point tiebreaker to kind of get it back on serve and uh, I feel like that puts pressure on the other team thinking oh we were ahead in this tiebreaker we should have won it already and uh, that I always feel like play every point till till it's over and you can always come back I mean I've lost matches being ahead 8-3 nine four before and i always look at that and think why can't i come back from down nine four so yeah it doesn't always happen but you got to give yourself the best shot yeah for sure i love that attitude another great piece of advice there that everybody should take to heart so um as far as your uh your next moves man like what what are your next uh couple of tourneys coming up i'm playing a uh, big challenger vancouver uh nice. next week and then i've asked some people for the u.s open but i don't think i'm gonna get in so i'm gonna try to be an alternate for the u.s open in a couple weeks so i'll be here in the u.s open and practicing with uh, some of the guys and then get ready for uh, some of the challengers and tour events in asia in september and october so that's that's the plan for now great stuff tread and you know you being as high as 18 in the world and and just kind of uh still uh, on the comeback i uh i know you'll you'll definitely be playing a lot of a lot more majors to come uh for sure and um as far as uh re- like do you have any favorite books or resources uh for tennis players that you suggest we check out that you've enjoyed uh, i've I feel like YouTube people, there's so many great videos on YouTube and matches on YouTube you can watch and kind of emulate. I've always been one to uh, watch tennis. And even when I was a kid, just watch tennis and see if I could kind of emulate that and copy what the best players in the world were doing, where I would see something and just try to do it that day or the next day when I hit the court. So that's uh, something I've always done. And I I still do today where I watch some matches or highlights from YouTube uh, still right now. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Yeah. And I mean, with YouTube, like, you know, 
know, a little pro tip here. If you don't know, you can click the gear button and then you can click, uh, I think the speed setting and then set it to as, as slow as 0.25, which, uh, will enable you to watch any video in slow-mo. So, uh, that's always really helpful, I think. But, um, Tret, I mean, it's really been really a great pleasure. Uh, well, first of all, seeing you last week, uh, at the city open, uh, and also, um, just, just, uh, seeing you do so well on tour and, and see it to see you healthy again it's been amazing uh and uh before I, I let you go i just want to ask you this classic question which i ask everybody uh what is one key tip that you can give us to help us improve our tennis games one key tip all right um i've always uh been a big fan of going for your shots i mean if you if you think you can hit a winner and go for your shots don't don't hold back i mean uh, over time i feel like you'll get better at it instead of kind of just pushing the ball in or being safe with it if you if you really practice going for a big approach shot or going for a winner uh do it in the matches where practice like you play that's that's the biggest thing i've always thought so fantastic Tread. appreciate that and yeah there's really no worse feeling than to lose a match and then you know feel like you you didn't go for it and you just like let somebody else take control and and uh push you around so love that yeah, exactly yeah for sure i love that piece of advice but uh Trent, like i mentioned thanks so much for coming on to the tennis files podcast uh, once again and uh i really appreciate your you know all the time you gave us today and uh want to wish you nothing but the best of luck and i look forward to watching you in many more tournaments and and seeing you up there uh, uh beasting it against the best in the world so uh appreciate it Trent, and uh, all the best to you thanks a lot thanks a lot for having me it's been uh, uh we've known each other for a long time we played in juniors and uh appreciate you following me and uh really having this podcast getting more people into the game talking tennis is always is great for sports so uh, i love it uh, thanks a lot awesome thanks so much Trent. All right. I really hope that you enjoyed my interview with Trett Huey. Uh, Trett, huge shout out to you and thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to speak with me on the show and to give us a lot of great, valuable information and to give us a peek into the life and the grind that professional tennis players endure. And if you enjoyed this podcast, I actually would really appreciate it if you would leave a review for the podcast. And you can do that by going to the podcast app that you use to listen to the show and hitting the review button and then leaving a review. If you're using iTunes to listen to the podcast today, then you can go to tennisfiles.com slash iTunes, or I think they might have renamed it to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, but in any case, tennisfiles.com slash iTunes works. I really appreciate all your support, and I really appreciate everybody's support for the show, and I just really hope that you're getting a lot out of it and using it and the tips within the interviews and solo episodes as well to improve your game. And I also want to leave you with a quote, as I often like to do at the end of the show, to hopefully motivate or inspire you. And today's quote is from Tim Fargo. And Tim said, excuses are the rocks where our dreams are crushed. Really love that quote. I think a lot of the times we are not able to progress because we make excuses for ourselves, whether that's that we don't have enough time or you don't have enough talent, both of which are pretty much always false. Uh, You can always make the time and you will always make the time for something that you really want to accomplish, whether that's waking up earlier or taking inventory of how long you spend perhaps on social media or watching TV. And I know that you can replace some of that time with training on your tennis game or thinking about it or setting goals and things like that, more productive things in life. And of course, all of us battle through these distractions, but it's definitely very true that a lot of the times we're not progressing because we're making excuses. And what we really need to do is to take action. And with that, you can check out all the links mentioned on the show today on the interview with Tret at tennisfiles.com slash 108. And thanks again for all your support. And I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. And we will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit tennisfiles.com.